Amos 5, 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So we're continuing in our Flourish series, Faith and Flourishing in Politics. We've been using this acronym, the word FLOURISH, to help us remember some principles, some biblical theological concepts, almost like a political catechism of how do we gauge in our world? How do we engage in uh, our culture? Right? We started with F. Well, we started with Genesis 1, a vision of flourishing that God gives us in Genesis 1. Uh, then we went with F, which is faith, not fear. We talked about the idea of faithful presence. L, love God and neighbor. O, other people's good. You, understanding and wisdom, are reign of Christ. And last week we talked about I, the Imago Dei, the image of God. So these are hopefully things, if you can remember the word flourish, you can remember these principles, and then as you go out into the world, uh, incorporate some of these as you engage. Uh, and those the little letters are supposed to be sort of like a visual reminder. And so today, we're talking about S, speak prophetically, speak prophetically. I am a fan of this design as well. Um, uh, someone I know uh, do this. Uh, but let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the book of Amos, this minor prophet who has a major message. Lord, help us to hear his words for us today. Help us to hear your words for us today. Help us to, to learn what it means to speak prophetically and how to do so wisely and empowered by your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. On the morning of Thursday, February 3rd, 1994, I'm sure you are all can recall to mind just instantly what happened on that day. Uh, on the morning of Thursday, February 3rd, 1994, there was a room of political and religious elite that gathered in the ballroom of a swanky hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. Here's a, a high-def picture from 1994, 4K, 4K photo. Um, members of Congress were there. Uh, maybe you can pick out in that picture the president, uh, uh, Bill Clinton and his wife Hillary on the left. Then you have Al Gore, vice president, on the right of that podium. But there was also someone else there you might not expect to gather in a room like this. Anyone recall this to mind? Anyone know what's about to happen in this? Uh, Mother Teresa was there in this room. Mother Teresa, an 83-year-old nun uh, from Calcutta, India. Uh, she had spent a lifetime caring for the poor and needy in the streets of Calcutta, the malnourished, the thrown away, the dying. And a few years previous, she had received the Nobel Peace Prize, 1979. But she did, still did not fit like the suits in this room, right? She was wearing a humble blue and white nun's habit. Uh, and this day was the National Prayer Breakfast, and they had invited Mother Teresa to speak. 
And when Mother Teresa got up to talk, like, this is what she looked like. You could barely see her head over the podium. Like, it'd be like if I talked like this the entire time. Uh, her, the, the, the speaker was right in her forehead. And uh, there's, like, the presidential seal right beneath that. It's quite the stark contrast. Uh, and she began to talk. And though she looked frail, she sort of had this frail demeanor. She talked with power. She spoke with power. Uh, she began to talk about the importance of love. Uh, and this is a, another photo of them. Uh, she began to talk about the importance of love and how, starting with the family, we are to live lives of love, loving God and neighbor. But we're not just to say we love God, but to show we love God by sacrificing for our neighbor. Mother Teresa called her audience to be willing to give until it hurts. And something about that rang true, didn't it? Because Mother Teresa had lived a life of giving until it hurts. And this gave weight to her next words as she spoke prophetically against children putting their parents into nursing homes and forgetting about them. She spoke against boys and girls taking drugs. <laughs> she spoke out against abortion. She said this, But I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because Jesus said, If you receive a little child, you receive me. And the room erupted into long and resounding applause. Not everyone clapped. If you were in that room Behind that podium, the presidential seal, surrounded by the most powerful men and women in the world, would you speak truth to power? Would you say the words that Mother Teresa said? That's what our S stands for, speak prophetically. Most of us will never be invited to the National Prayer Breakfast and have this opportunity to speak in this context, but we're each given chances, opportunities to speak truth to the power in our lives, maybe our school setting, our job, our families. Wherever God places us, we have opportunities to speak truth, God's truth to those in authority. Maybe if we prove Faithful in these small moments, God will call us to a big moment like this. And during the Ockengay Fellows Program, so I took this last couple of years, we talked about politics one time, we talked about this idea of faithful presence, which we uh, looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. My black brothers and sisters in Christ pointed out that there are times that Christians need to speak up and advocate for justice. It can't just be this sort of passive witness. That's like a critique of this idea of faithful presence, that maybe it should be more of this idea of faithful prophetic presence, right? You're faithful to Jesus, you're willing to speak up for truth and justice, and you are present in your context, right? Not fighting, not fleeing, not fusing. I think there's some truth to that. Sometimes faithful presence needs prophetic power. So I want to say this, that to speak prophetically is to speak truth to power, to speak truth to authority. 
The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, is full of the writings of prophets and stories of prophets. We call them major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. They speak God's truth to power to those in positions of authority, governors, kings. They also speak to entire nations, to cities. Jonah spoke to the, 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 nation, the, the city of Nineveh, the Assyrian nation. Now, when we think about prophets in the Old Testament, even prophecy today, right, you think about future telling, right? Like, I'm, I'm foretelling the future. But actually, prophets in the Bible were often not future telling, but truth telling. See, God had given his people a covenant, uh, some laws that he expected his people to obey. And in Deuteronomy 28, he said, here are the blessings if you follow my laws, and here are the curses if you disobey my laws. And what the prophets often did was just go out and remind people of God's laws and saying, if you disobey, there will be curses. <laughs> Sent into exile. And if you obey, if you repent, if you seek the Lord, well, there will be blessings. Right? That's not really future telling, that's just truth telling. <laughs> telling them to live God's way and not their way. So the prophets were really these kind of covenant lawyers. Right? They were prosecutors. Honor and obey God to be blessed. And throughout the Old Testament, we find many examples of prophets speaking truth to power. Prophet Samuel spoke truth to King Saul. Even the good kings had prophets. Nathan spoke truth to King David. Right? You had an affair with Bathsheba. Here are the consequences. Elijah spoke to King Ahab. Isaiah spoke to King Uzziah and others. And our prophet today, Amos, anyone know who he spoke to? Jeroboam II of northern Israel. That just rolls right off your tongue, right? Jeroboam II. But we also find other examples of people being prophetic. Right? So people in the Old Testament speaking truth to power without actually carrying that title of prophet, right? We have Daniel. He was a prophet. But we have like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right? speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. We also have Esther with King Xerxes. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Esther. There was this guy named Haman. He was evil. He plotted mass genocide against the Jews, and God sovereignly directed a Jewish woman named Esther to become the king's wife. That's very convenient, but she was nervous. She didn't want to speak up. And her uncle told her that God had put her in that position for such a time as this, right? Oh, your people are about to have this mass genocide. Maybe God has called you to speak truth in this moment, truth to power. And in the story of Esther, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go read it. Uh, we actually have a, a study guide on our website. She speaks truth to power and God delivers the people. And if she hadn't, God would have raised someone else up, but God worked through Esther. It's an amazing, amazing story. How about the New Testament? The New Testament urges us, I think, to speak on behalf of others. We don't see this uh, maybe as clear, but we find verses like this in James. James 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So perhaps James is saying, you know, if God gives you an opportunity to speak good for others, to advocate for others, and you don't take that opportunity, that could be actually a missed opportunity to do good. That could be sin. 
I think that's interesting. So if we see our government, national, state, local, working against the common good, working against human flourishing, hurting people, maybe this implies that we should say something, right? That we should speak up. Maybe we could even ask, if we don't say something, are we, are we sort of disobeying Jesus' command to love God and to love our neighbor, right? If we're not speaking up for the good of our neighbor, you know, Martin Luther King once said this, said the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition, talking about the civil rights era, was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Appalling silence of the good people. And we'd all like to say that, well, we would, we would be those people that would speak up, you know, we're not faithful in the small things. He says we'll be faithful in those big moments. As Martin Luther King sat or stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, August 28, 1963, he delivered a prophetic speech, this I Have a Dream speech. In this speech, he spoke of black poverty, voting rights, police brutality, and biblical justice. And as he preached, he actually quoted a prophet, well, two prophets. He quoted the prophet Isaiah. Today we're going to focus on his quote of the prophet Amos. But let justice roll down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. I want to focus on this verse for a moment. Because as Christians, we often emphasize righteousness, right? You need to get right with God. You need to have a right relationship with God. That's why Jesus came, to, to make us righteous through faith. But notice that the prophet, I, prophet Amos, is the prophet Amos? That's not the, the right prophet. The prophet Amos, it's good to point out your typos. Uh, the prophet Amos, <laughs> you'll have to make it up to do here. Right? He connects righteousness with justice but let justice roll down as waters to have a just community. Have a community where people are treated with dignity and respect and well cared for. So we love to sort of divorce and say, well, the church, Christianity, it's just about righteousness. Yes, and it's also about justice. God expects both of his people, both justice and righteousness. So it was completely appropriate for MLK to quote this passage as he advocated for justice, right? Publicly, in the heart of Washington, D.C., and then privately when he advocated for voting rights with Lyndon B. Johnson, passed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So something about our prophet, Amos. Amos was not a professional prophet, Right? He didn't have, like, reverend in his title. He could not, like, get the clergy discount at his local golf club. He was from Tekoa. Tekoa, what an interesting name. Uh, this is in Judah, that region. And God called Amos to speak truth to power, not just to Judah, but all these different nations. I want to kind of point out on this map, Amos lived in southern Judah, so the sort of greenish, orange, whatever color that is, uh, uh, place on this map in Tekoa. He preaches against, in Amos chapter 1 and 2, against northern Damascus. 
country of Aram, to Gaza, where the Philistines were, to Tyre, Phoenicia, to Edom, Ammon, and Moab. Right? So he has, deliver, he, has a nation, he has a message for all of these nations. And he, he preaches against those nations for violence, acts of violence in war, against their acts of slavery, their wicked religious practices, their abuses of pregnant women. Amos not only spoke to them, but he also spoke to southern Judah for breaking God's covenant, right? He was a covenant lawyer. But most of his message is directed towards northern Israel, right? The capital of Samaria. He speaks out against them for oppressing the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. Amos spent most of his time addressing them, addressing King Jeroboam II. For that, a false priest named Amaziah, a priest at Bethel. Did you know that northern Israel actually had two golden calves? That's not a good, good thing. They had two golden calves. And he was a priest there, this Amaziah guy. He told Amos, go home. Go home. Go on. Get. <laughs> Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go. Flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. <laughs> go home. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Stay away from our king, from his sanctuary, from our temple. Do you see what Amos was doing? He was challenging the religious and political authorities of northern Israel. See, northern Israel had a type of civil religion. Right? The palace, the king's sanctuary, and the temple overlapped, right? And so the, the palace, well, it adopted the, used the beliefs of the temple. And the temple affirmed the practices of the palace. They had a civil religion, and it was corrupted from the temple, the one true temple in Jerusalem. It was corrupted, their, their religious practices. And so I think it's an important warning that we can receive in our context today, this idea of civil religion. When religion and state enmesh, when one affirms the other, one adopts the practices, and they, they feed into each other, which can lead to a watered-down faith and injustices, right? Now, northern Israel had the authority of God backing up its decisions. God wants us to worship at this golden calf. We have to be careful. And we should take this warning in our context today. Without separation from the state, the church cannot speak prophetically to the state. Without separation from the state, the church, us, the body of believers, cannot speak truth to power because, well, we have the power. One of the biggest supporters of apartheid in South Africa was the Reformed Church. Decades of injustice and abuse of people was backed up theologically by a faith tradition that is not so different than our own. Right? They went to the Bible and they found all the verses about division and land and how it was a good thing. That's not so different from slavery in the South. And so, 
we need to ask ourselves, do we have the separation, the integrity, the ability to speak truth to power, or have we been watered down and corrupted by political power? This is challenging. It's meant to be challenging. I think we've all seen it where, you know, and I'm going to say this for both sides of the political aisle, when someone who is high up with kind of a, a religious famous person, right, they begin to endorse a political leader, and then that political leader goes astray, it's certainly hard to speak out against that because now I endorse that candidate, right? And they can't be wrong because that would make me wrong. One tends to corrupt the other. Amos is confronting the same sort of religious and political mixing of powers in his time. While it's intimidating, he doesn't do it alone, see? Because to speak prophetically is to speak truth to power with power. God empowers Amos. Amos isn't rebuking the nations and the Israel uh, because of his own sense of injustice. He's not speaking up because he's been offended. He has a higher mandate. He actually has God's truth, God's mandate. He speaks the word of God to these nations. He's not just speaking his personal, partisan, political opinions. The phrase, says the Lord, appears 21 times in Amos's nine chapters. Amos makes clear that this message doesn't come from him. It comes from God. And when the false prophet Amaziah tries to send Amos packing, he points to God's calling. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman. I was a shepherd, a dresser of sycamore trees. And, you know, this, this book is well constructed, so people think he was educated, but right, he, was a, he was a shepherd. He wasn't a professional. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. What God calls us to do, he will empower us to carry out. God empowered Amos. God called Amos. God might be calling you into politics. God might call you into civil service. God might call you to speak truth to power in your setting, in your family or school or job, to risk it all. God will not abandon you in that task. When he calls you to speak his truth, he will go with you through his Holy Spirit. But we need to check ourselves, don't we? We need to check ourselves that we're not just giving my truth. (laughs) We're actually speaking God's truth, God's words. For us to speak prophetically is not to speak my truth, but God's truth grounded in Scripture. Something I noticed about Mother Teresa's speech is that it was full of Scripture. She quoted Scripture, like she paraphrased verses from Matthew, John, 1 John, and Isaiah 11 times. So her prophetic message did not come from watching an abundance of YouTube videos. Her prophetic message did not come from reading New York Times articles. Her prophetic message didn't come from listening to the Holy Post podcast, which I enjoy, and I know Andy does as well. Her prophetic message came from an overflow from the scripture. Doesn't mean those things aren't valuable for helping us understand our context. She just wasn't just speaking like a political ideology. She was speaking God's ideology. 
Now, when we claim to speak prophetically, how many of us are actually speaking God's truth to power (laughs) or just speaking our preferences, right? What we think works, our pragmatism. Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? I believe in the office of prophet in the New Testament. God calls his people to speak prophetically. Sometimes that can mean future telling. I don't think it ever means laying down new scripture like the prophets in the Old Testament. I actually think to be prophetic in our context often means reminding God's people to live according to God's laws. And we found God's laws, right? Jesus gave us the law in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think to be prophetic is to hold up God's standards and say, church, nation, are we living according to these standards? Are we loving God and are we loving our enemy? And most, most of the time we're going to say, well, I'm not doing a very good job of that. I need to get in line with God's ways. Now, we talked about needing wisdom to set public policy, right, that helps us bridge the gap between a biblical vision of God's flourishing and the actual policy. It's like wisdom helps us get there. I think the Holy Spirit's a part of that too, but I, I would also say that the Holy Spirit helps us discern, and wisdom helps us discern when to speak prophetically, right? Should we just go around speaking prophetically all the time? We're not going to have many friends. We're not going to get very far. I think there's discernment still, that the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us wisdom. James 1, 19 through 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think my point here is that one of the signs of not speaking prophetically and just speaking in our own power is perhaps how angry we get, how self-righteous we feel. James warns that the anger of man does not equate to the righteousness of God. When I feel angry about our culture, angry about our world, this, this rings in my mind. We have to go back to this. Are we angry because of God's truth or something else? I think this quote is really accurate. The problem with carnal anger and outrage is that it's one of the easiest sins to commit while convincing oneself that one is being faithful. Rage is no sign of authority, prophetic or otherwise. Right? Rage is no sign of authority. In fact, what are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you were to watch that video of Mother Teresa, I think one of the things that makes her message so prophetic is that she is full of love. She is full of peace. She is full of faith. She's not outraged. She's not angry. She's speaking truth to power, empowered with power by the Holy Spirit. To speak prophetically is to speak truth to power with power. Love has to be at the core of our message. We speak prophetically out of love for our neighbor. So often, prophetic messages have become about protecting me and my rights or my particular group 
I think that can be part of it, protecting the people I love and care about. But it's also about protecting my neighbor, those people that might disagree with me, loving them. I want us to take a bird's eye look at the book of Amos to kind of zoom upward and look at a, a few chapters because Amos speaks for the good of his neighbors. He speaks for the good of those surrounding nations. He calls them to repentance. And when he addresses Israel, he rebukes their injustices and unrighteousness out of, you know, I think they're good in mind. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver injustice and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. We see in this passage a deep disrespect for the poor, raising taxes on them, selling them for a pair of sandals, condemns Israel's unbridled materialism, abuse of the poor, sexual immorality. their religious sacrilege. I don't think Amos would be impressed. You know, most of us have like a car or a phone or a computer. And one of the things I'm learning about is how some of the cobalt that makes those things possible can come from very abusive mining practices in the Congo, right? Something that we might be carrying in our pocket, all right? A, a device that I have an iPad right here. Are we selling the poor for an iPhone? <laughs> the needy for a pair of Nikes? Amos 4.1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who says to your husbands, bring that we may drink Samaria is Israel's capital. It's full of men and women who crush the poor and drink their fill. They're the kind of people who don't want to see justice done in the court, who detest the truth, who raise taxes on the poor. God's wrath will come on them. They hate him who reproves in the gate, they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. Right? We see just this the re- repetition of this message over and over and over again. But maybe you're thinking, like, what kind of people would do this? What sort of awful, awful people? Right? It's, they're like nothing like us, right? But actually, if... Like, these are the kind of people that are trying to be good religious people in their context. Maybe they're the kind of people that would read their Hebrew scriptures, read the portions of the Old Testament. Kind of people that go to church. Amos 5, 21 through 24, our text from today. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Right, Your worship gatherings, your church services... (laughs) Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, you offer me your worship music, I will not accept them. 
and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your worship music, of your songs, to the melody of your harps, your guitars. I will not listen to them. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Shouldn't this terrify us a little bit? Shouldn't this terrify us as the church? It's so easy to condemn those around us for their immorality and their injustice, but doesn't it start first with the church? Don't we have to live prophetically before we can talk prophetically? Before we can preach truth to power, don't we have to like live it out first to love God and love our neighbor? God says that if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love him. Oof. Next week, we're going to talk about Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. <laughs> it should be fun. When we love our neighbor, when we love the, the needy, it gives us credibility to speak truth to power. Remember how Mother Teresa called out abortion? Well, she added this. This was part of her speech. The beautiful gift God has given our congregation is to fight abortion by adoption. We have given already from one house in Calcutta over 3,000 children in adoption. And I can't tell you what joy, what love, what peace those children have brought into those families. It has been a real gift of God for them and for us. And also, I offer you, since our sisters are here and anybody who doesn't want the child, please give it to me. I, I want the child. I will tell you something beautiful. As I already told you, the abortion by adoption, by care of the mother and adoption for her baby. We have saved thousands of lives. We have sent word to the clinics, to the hospitals and the police stations. Please don't destroy the child. We will take the child. So we always have someone tell the mothers in trouble, come, we will take, we take care of you. We will get a home for your child. Please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I am willing to accept any child who would be aborted and to give that child to married couples who will love the child and be loved by the child. She didn't advocate for any specific policy. She didn't say, you need to change this policy and make abortion illegal at a certain week. She said, give me the child. I will love that child. And then she backed it up with 3,000 adoptions. Mother Teresa was incredibly pro-life. She demonstrated love. We speak prophetically out of love for our neighbor. Amos's prophetic rebuke was an expression of God's love for his people and for the nations and for the Gentiles, Damascus, Edom, Aram. In the end of this book, Amos prophesied that northern Israel, Samaria, and all those surrounding nations, with all their injustices, they had hope. They had hope, but only through King David's line. Amos 9, 11 through 12 says this, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. All right, King David... <laughs> Who's his really, really, really famous descendant? Jesus, the Messiah, God's chosen 
king. And how those nations would come in to David's kingdom is through repentance and seeking the Lord. And that's what we do. An unjust and unrighteous people will be counted just and righteous because they have a just king. (laughs) The bad news is that none of us can do any of this on our own power. That's also sort of good news, too. Because we have a king, we have a just and righteous king who has come through the line of David and has lived perfectly justly and perfectly holy. And he's a prophet that cost him his life. You want to speak prophetically? It's really cool to like speak prophetically. Well, prophetic power comes at the cost of self-sacrificial love. I think our world emphasizes the importance of speaking truth, but I feel like it's often that the, like for being for the sake of being right, self-righteousness, or to love my group, not to love my neighbors. It's certainly very rarely self-sacrificial. You know what they did to the prophets? They sawed them in two. They stoned them. They murdered them and mistreated them. The prophets lived lives of sadness and sorrow as they watched people disobey God and they wept. You want to speak prophetically? Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. I think the idea today is like, right, to be prophetic is to flip tables. Jesus flipped tables, right? He went into the the temple, he flipped tables, he drove out the money changers and the animals, right, to get angry, to demand justice. Modern day zeal takes the form of social media attacks, right? I'm going to attack you. Shouting matches. See clips on YouTube. Flipping cars. Bumper stickers. A yard sign. A t-shirt. I got this nice t-shirt. 20 bucks. All right, it says, seek justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8. I'm speaking prophetically when I wear this t-shirt. Right? It makes me feel good. Does this cost me anything? Like the most it might cost me is like maybe a glance cost me 20 bucks on Amazon. I don't really want to talk about Amazon's injustices. When Jesus chased the money changers out of the temple, he was provoking his own death. He chased out all the lambs so that there would be one lamb remaining, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus did that once, maybe twice, but he did it the week that he went to the cross. How many of us, when we get up to speak prophetically, say, wow, I am, I am here to lay down my life in self-sacrificial love? Certainly not me. Mother Teresa gave 89 years of her life MLK gave 39 years of his life. One died in old age and one was assassinated. 
and they affected change, but it cost them everything. I wonder if Amos's audience repented. Amos's audience was taken into exile in Assyria. They they kept disobeying God, and they were taken away. And then one day, Babylon sort of brought back this people group, mixed them up. They became known as the Samaritans. They still had a confused religious and political identity. Part of me wonders, did any of them hear? And it's interesting that Jesus tells a parable that we assume is fiction called the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is a man who's a Samaritan risking his life to care for a broken and beaten down Jew who's been robbed on the side of a road. And then he takes him to an inn, he binds his wounds, and he, he puts his like, credit card and says, hey, take care of this man. I think Jesus gave that story for a reason. That maybe there was some redemption. Prophetic power comes at the cost of self-sacrificial love. And we see that in Jesus Christ. So to be prophetic is to be like him. To follow him all the way to the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the prophets. Thank you for Amos. And he is a challenging, challenging prophet. Lord, I feel rebuked in my soul. And I, I need to, to live a life that, that Amos, that, that Jesus would be proud of. I know in my own power I can't do that. That's why I need Jesus. But I also believe in the Holy Spirit. I, I can live a little bit closer to this. So help me, help us, help our church community live lives of justice and righteousness for all people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.